Good morning. Do we not have the greatest musicians around? Are you kidding me? And how about my husband preaching the announcements? Wasn't he great as well? He sat down beside me and said, I think you got about 10 minutes left. Well, folks, I said, I got 45. I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't have 45. My name is Janice. I am so happy to be with you and continuing in the series that we are in for Christmas. As you can tell, we are looking into the word behold. Behold, kind of an antique King Jamesy kind of word. And uh, I bet you haven't used it this week in your conversation. Um, unless you were driving through Lexington and you saw the hot and ready light on and said, behold, I need to swing in there and get a donut. Or maybe if you're in Richmond, you drove past Chick-fil-A and you noticed that there were not three lines of cars wrapped around it and said, behold, I think I've got time to jump in there. Um, no, it's not a word that we commonly use, but here's what it means. It shows up over, well, first of all, it shows up over 25 times in the book of Matthew, depending on the translation you have. But the original word that's translated into behold turns out 25 times there and multiple times during the nativity account, during the life of Jesus. And what it means is stop, pay attention, to this event. And I love the way one dictionary uh, describes it. It means, in a reference specifically, something that is unexpected but sure. Something that is unexpected but sure. And it often introduces something that is in stark contrast to what you were expecting or what has been happening. So it's kind of an exclamation point that's, that's being put on something uh, that, that's being announced. Are you ready for a behold moment in your life this Christmas? Something striking, something unexpected, but sure. I, I hope that you're ready for that. It might be something even better than what you have already envisioned. I guarantee you that the characters in the Christmas story, um, all of them met the unexpected, right? They, they all kind of had the rug pulled out from under them in a strange way in their behold moments. Uh, think about it. Joseph surely expected to marry a woman who was not already pregnant with someone else's child. Right? Mary fully expected to get married before she got pregnant. The shepherds, I'm convinced, were expecting a rather boring night shift on the hills around Bethlehem with the sheep that they were watching. That's not what they got. And certainly the magi or the wise men who show up did not expect a baby a common baby, they expected a prince and a palace. Do you know that's why they actually show up at Jerusalem? They are going there because that's the obvious spot for a royal birth. They're going there expecting. That's not what they got. They had their behold moments. And so, and, and to some extent, their expectations were dashed. And I hope to some extent your expectations are dashed this Christmas and that God does something miraculous, something of a behold moment in your life. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the expectations that go along with that this morning. And I learned something about expectations a few years ago on an airplane. Some of you, I'm sure, are preparing for some holiday travel. If it involves airplanes, Godspeed to you all right? Uh, because you know how that can go. I was actually flying back from... Um, 
uh, Oklahoma. I had gone out there to speak, and this was July. It wasn't anything to do with Christmas, but it was July. And so I had flown out there, and I was on my way back. And the reason I remember that is because my event was over. I was on a more relaxed state, you know, on my return trip than if I had been heading toward the event. And, uh, and the track was this. I was to get on a plane in Oklahoma and, um, and, and fly down to Dallas, which is a really short jaunt, which is a hub, and that's where I'd make my connection back to Kentucky. No problem. Got on the plane. Absolutely packed out plane three seats either side all the way you know it's just a peanuts and coke kind of a trip you know I me mean? no meals on this place and uh, as soon as we got in the air the pilot came on and who you know sounded like he was all of 25 and he said uh, by the way there are a lot of storms in Dallas we're going to divert to Houston uh, to wait out the storms so we fly to Houston we can't land because everyone has diverted to Houston. So we're just in this racetrack in the sky around the airport until we run low on fuel. That puts us to the front of the line and we get to land. Now, if you are not a, a frequent flyer, you need to understand that if you land in an airport that is not expecting you, that means there is no gate for you to debark on into the terminal. You can't like go shop and get a lunch and eat it chilies or what you, you can't do that right no they put us on the great asphalt parking lot of the airport out you know 40 miles from anything we're in the hot I mean they actually opened the doors it's the middle of July hotter than a biscuit and we're there next to me is a, a little woman about 75 years old she was traveling to uh, Great Britain and, uh, and she was deeply concerned about whether or not she was going to make her connecting flight as we sat down and they told us it'd be about an hour or so. Across the aisle was uh, the only college student I've ever met who hates pizza. Um, up front, there was a lady on her way to Mississippi for her Botox treatment. I, I don't know. Uh, and there was another guy who was this international businessman. I'm sure he thought he was Trump. This was like a few years ago. I mean, he was a mover and shaker, let me tell you. There's a lot of stuff that depended on him, and he was concerned. The reason I know these people so well is that I spent six hours with them on the tarmac. We got to know each other very well. We ate all the peanuts. We drank all of the Coke that they had. There was no food. At one point, because the, the pilot kept coming on and saying, oh, another hour, another hour, another hour. He never said six hours. He just said another hour, right? And so eventually people are getting a little cranky. The lavatory got filled up. They had to come dump that. The poor pilot had to come down the gauntlet of angry passengers to use it because there's no other place, poor kid. And he goes back. He actually ordered us pizza. It got so bad because we, had, we were missing a meal. Dominoes came out on the asphalt thing. <laughs> I'm not making this up. You cannot make this stuff up. That's how I know the college student hates pizza. She was crying. Oh, she did not want pizza. She was really disturbed about the trip, but whatever. Here's what I learned on that trip, besides the intriguing people watching that was going on. I learned that people handle their inconveniences and their disappointments very, very differently. Right? For example, the lady next to me, you would think a docile little granny going to England. No, no, no. Oh my, she was working the aisle. She got up and she was marching up and down the aisle. She said, could you believe this? What are we going to do about it? I think we all need to sue. And I mean, she was working a, a civil suit up and down that aisle. And I'm like, calm down, lady. It'd be all right. No. We all handle our inconveniences and our disappointments differently, but I'm convinced that our disappointments are directly related to our level of expectation. 
What we're expecting affects that so greatly. Let me just give you the shorter illustration that would have solved it all. Have you ever ordered a Coke, some sort of dark cola, and been served a different dark cola that was so starkly different, like Dr. Pepper or root beer, and you took a swig of that, and you're like, you were, you, you're expecting something? Now, if you had not been expecting anyone, and somebody walked up to you and said, here, what do you think it is? Completely different. But if you're expecting something that doesn't happen, it's a whole different world, isn't it? You have a whole completely different understanding of what's going on. So um, I just want to challenge you this morning to not let the enemy goad you into bad behavior during this holiday season when your expectations are not met. Don't let the enemy take you somewhere you don't need to be because, folks, the holidays are upon us, and I'm telling you they can be as demanding as a flight schedule. They really can, and, and they can tell you what to do. Um, you know, we raised five grown children, and, um, and you saw one of our grandchildren baptized here this morning, and I was not one of those weepy mamas when my children moved on to the next level, like when they first went to school or when they graduated from school. The last two of our five were twins, and so I think that had part of it to, to do with it. You know, we finished everything with a bang. And uh, when they both graduated from, from high school, I, first of all, I'm so pleased to see my children turn into responsible adults. I just love them at this age. And, but when they graduated, I didn't cry. I was like, yes. The Madison County school system calendar will no longer dictate my life. No more award banquets, no more Christmas concerts, no more graduation events that I have to go to. I was so excited for about four years, and then I had grandchildren. Now I'm doing it all over again. It's like round two. Now I'm not saying, I'm not against celebration. I'm just saying that when celebrations begin to dictate your life, when they begin to dictate the emotions of your life, we have a problem. We have a problem. And so I just really believe we have to be careful about that because it's Thanksgiving to New Year's time is a little bit like that. And it begins to take on a life of its own and it begins to dictate our emotions. Now, our pastor last week set the stage with the beginning of the series and he talked about the idea of surviving the holidays by making a plan, setting boundaries, and sticking to the plan. And we're going to continue that thought a little deeper today by talking about how it applies to our family gatherings. I assume many of you are preparing for those. Maybe you're hosting them. Maybe you're going to them. And I would suggest that when it comes to Christmas, we all have expectations of our families. And, they, and it's weird. The holidays just have this unusual power over us. For example, I think that there are many of us who feel the pressure to settle family disputes quickly before you have to sit down to dinner with them, before you have to figure out where everybody's going to stay. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're like, oh, Fred and, and Steve haven't talked to each other forever. We got to get this figured out. We're going to be together. And, and, you know, and, and who of you is not dreading a difficult conversation with somebody at Christmas? Right? And you just want this whole thing to be, to be hammered out in some way. And there's a, there's a lot of research on family estrangement. But I am telling you that if it were July, you would not care so much. You're not pressured to put families back together in July. No, but in November and December, boy, we are desperate to figure this whole thing out. And we begin to 
force family reconciliation in ways that aren't tremendously genuine. Now, don't hear me say that you shouldn't like make nice with your family. I, I believe that you should. I am just saying you cannot force these things. There are some things that, that deserve and need a, a certain amount of healing. They deserve and need a, a, a certain amount of respect and steps taken to get there. And we don't win when we force this thing and try to create a lot of pressure for ourselves as we think about who's going to be sitting there. So perhaps we should quit letting the holidays push us into this weird kind of behavior and force us into anything that's less than authentic as it, as it comes to our families. Because I want to tell you that the holidays were built for man. Man was not built for the holidays. That's almost scripture, but not quite. Here's the scripture. Mark 2, 27. This is Jesus, and he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You go on, now I'm I'm, I promise you, I'm not trying to adulterate that scripture or suggest that the Sabbath is specifically a holiday, but I would say to you that if you go on into the New Testament and you, and you hear Paul talking about it, he says, listen, these days do not have a power of their own. Some people think one day is more special than another. Particular days have no life of their own. Holidays are an opportunity for us to celebrate. They cannot force you to celebrate. They should not force you to celebrate. They should not force you to be something that you don't want to be. And as we'll get into in a moment, even Jesus celebrated holidays and had difficult family to work with. He wasn't celebrating Christmas, per se. I mean, I guess he was. That's his birthday. So maybe he got cake or something. But it wasn't like a Santa day like it is now. But he celebrated Passovers. He celebrated festivals that were uh, on the Jewish calendar. This is a very real part of it. And families were deeply connected to those events. And we're going to get into a little bit how Jesus navigated those things. But the second thing I want to say about the holidays is, I think the holidays also have this uncanny way of telling you what you do and do not have. They are like a microphone. They are like a microphone. They take different aspects of your life and they just magnify it. Whatever it is that you, you feel a loss about, anything that in your life has been a disappointment to you, anything that you do not have yet, anything, any loss that you have felt in the last year is going to be accentuated during this holiday season. As people are thinking about having this perfect setting, it may be a holiday for you that is unlike any other. Maybe you are facing the holidays without a particular important loved one in your family. Maybe you are starting the holidays, going into it, recognizing you are going to have a broken family this year. It's not going to look anything like it did for the past decade, and it's going to be different. I don't know what that is, but the holidays just have this way of amplifying the empty spots in our heart and in our soul. If you don't have a job, you know it for real at Christmas. If you don't have a complete family, you will know it in spades at Christmas. If you don't have hope for something in your life that you have been planning on and expecting, you will feel it with special intensity at Christmas. Whatever those holes in your heart are, particularly in regard to family, it's going to be a way that the holiday puts them on display in your life. But here's why I think that might be happening. And I'm not sure it's a great idea. At Christmas, we say, as Christians, that we're celebrating Jesus. 
We say, we claim that we're celebrating the Messiah. We sing all the songs, we put up all the lights, we have the special music, and we make it this Christian holiday, and the whole nine yards, and we claim that we're really celebrating God's gift to us, and, and ultimately the gift of salvation. But when it comes down to it, I am afraid that, that, that Christmas has become a celebration of something completely different, and I'm not talking about Santa. I'm afraid that we have come down to this place of really celebrating the idea of family. And without family, we feel that we have missed out on something incredible. And we feel that we're missing out. And I have to admit, I mean, I'm just, I'm in the mix of it with you. As I was analyzing and preparing for this message, I'm thinking, well, what do I celebrate at Christmas? What makes Christmas real for me? And I have to admit to you, that Christmas is not complete for me. The, the pinnacle of the, of the season for me is when my whole family is gathered together, as in all of my children and my in-laws and my grandchildren are all in one room at one time, and we are enjoying each other's company, and we have given gifts to each other in honor of who each other is. And I have gotten to watch them open something that I have chosen or made or thought of them in particular when I gave it to them. Then Christmas is over for me. And it doesn't matter if that happens on the 20th or if it happens on the 28th. That's the Christmas moment for me. And then everything else kind of is amped up toward that or slides down on the other side. What am I really celebrating? Notice that I didn't say the Christmas Eve service. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I've had Christmas Eve. I can rest in peace now. No. I, I mean, we are so, so glued to this idea. Of fam- and I don't, I don't even think it's just presents. I think it's the idea of family. And we have to be a little bit careful about that. All right? Um, not all of us have a full family. Not all of us have the mom and dad, the grandma, the grandpa, the aunt, the uncle, the kid, the whatever, the dog, the cat. Maybe you only have a cat. Maybe that's all you got. And then it's no wonder if family is what makes Christmas, then you and your cat are struggling. You know what I mean? Because that's not a really full family. I mean, maybe your cat's really special, but you know what I'm saying? It's not the complete thing. Maybe you have a weird family. Who doesn't? You mean, how many of you have Cousin Eddie? And you're worried about him showing up with his RV and all of his weird kids and his obnoxious animals that he's going to bring in to mix in with your animals or whatever. And if you don't think you have a Cousin Eddie in your family, it might be because you are, Cousin Eddie. I know, you know, that's what you were thinking. Several of you were with me. All right, I mean, it's a, pro- it's a behold moment, right? And instead, this is in direct contrast, and for many of us, the actual reality of Christmas is in direct contrast to what we kind of have pictured in our mind that we should have, the Norman Rockwell, where everybody's sitting together. We have grandma and grandpa and the middle-aged parents and the grade school children. I looked at that picture this week, and there's so many funny versions of it now, so I didn't even put any up. But I looked at that, at that photo this week uh, from so many years ago that kind of stands as the classic picture of Christmas, and I got to thinking, do the math on that. If that's the perfect Christmas, first of all, it's a very brief period of time, maybe a decade right? Where your children are actually in grade school, they're not married yet, the mom and dad are middle age, and grandma and grandpa are still spry and thriving. And even if that is your classic family, I want you to think also about what it costs to have that. Unless that one of those children, whoever grandpa and grandpa or grandpa or parents to, unless that's their only child, there's another sibling out there that didn't get grandma and grandpa at the table. 
right? And when you get a little older like me and you're dealing with in-laws and in-law families, I now have four in-law families to navigate with. This takes an extreme algorithm. I've been thinking about calling Mark Zuckerberg to figure this thing out, right? Because Christmas is a season of sharing. And it should be a season of sharing. How dare I get possessive of the fact that those are my children and I have, must have all of the in-laws at the same, at the same time. My, my point is this. If you do have the perfect little experience, it comes at the cost of somebody else who doesn't get them. Somebody else is not going to have those children at that time or whatever that may want them. So, and even if your family feels less than functional and you're like, you're sad because you've, you're convinced that 80% of the people are living this Norman Rockwell Christmas, when in reality, with absolutely no research to back it up, I believe that perhaps less than 20% of anyone in America is really having the picture-perfect Christmas. Because we've made it all about family. And if that's the problem, we have become so completely dependent on family, I think we're celebrating the wrong thing. Because number one, Christmas is not a time to celebrate family. It is a time to celebrate Jesus. And you can throw tomatoes at me if you want to, but I'm telling you that is not anything I can find in Scripture, that we are supposed to come to celebrate family. And so now I want to get into the Christmas story so that we can get to this point, all right? Now, it took me a while to get to the Scripture, but here's my other reality. This is a very familiar story if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, let me help you out. There are two different accounts of the Christmas story in the Bible. Matthew gives an account that largely covers Joseph and his decision to marry Mary and the wise men and his trip on to Egypt. Luke, on the other hand, tells the story of Mary hearing from an angel and then going to Bethlehem and then um, the shepherds coming to visit. That's the one we're going to work on today. I want you to listen, even if it's super, super familiar, try to ask God to tell you something special today. Luke 2, 1 through 7, or more. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, let me say something about a census. This is not just accounting. This is a way to go and provide tax, uh, taxation. This was a method for soliciting taxes from the people. So you had to go. This was compulsory. You had to go. You had to be counted. You had to pay your money. And you had to go to your particular line of heritage. And that's why they end up there in um, Bethlehem. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up in the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to their firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel, this was their behold moment. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. In King James it will say, Behold, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told him. I love that. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They had to share it. Spread the word. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, what is missing from this account? Family. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but if you have a nativity scene set up in your home, take a look at it this afternoon and say, how many of those folks are related? I mean, unless the shepherds had a couple brothers that were serving together, which might be likely, nobody in that nativity scene is related to one another that we know of. Even Mary and Joseph aren't fully married. That's not, that's not by blood. They are not related to one another. Now, Mary's family is notably absent because she's from a different line, so her family had to go to a different town to register. So even if she was counting on having a baby with help from sisters or mother or aunts or whatever, she doesn't have that. Now, Connecting the dots, it's possible that Joseph has family there, right? Because he can, unless he's a lone ranger, chances are all of his cousin Eddie's that they probably had to travel with, went with them, you know, and by the way, there's no donkey, but if there was, you know what I mean? They're all riding their donkeys and their RVs to Bethlehem together, but yet they're not close enough to be present at the birth. They are not mentioned at all. So you sense that there's zero support from family in any regard. So who does come to the nativity to celebrate Jesus? Complete strangers. Complete strangers. So number two, you do not need family to celebrate Jesus. You do not need family. God uses absolute strangers to celebrate the birth of his child. It is not about a family dinner. It's not about ham. It's not about the tree. It's not about any of our fun traditions that we love so much. He, they got together with absolute strangers. Find people of faith to celebrate Jesus with this year to share your celebration. If you do not have a family that you feel close to, no worries, right? You're on equal footing with everybody else because we're celebrating Jesus and not our family. Family is not who you share blood with. It's who you share Jesus with. And here's why that is such a good idea. Because we're going to look at now how Jesus celebrated the holidays and where family plays a role in that. So if you're taking notes, this is the time to get your pen out. I'm going to nail the rest of these here in a minute. We're going to talk about how Jesus goes through and celebrates holidays and how he navigates them with his family. So I'm going to call this, you know, top tips from Jesus on holidays with family. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Rapid fire. Number one, he did not seek family approval. Some of us needed to hear that today. He did not seek family approval. Here's proof of it. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus has started his ministry. He is healing people. He's ministering to people. And this is how Mark writes it. Then Jesus entered a, ha a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. They've interrupted supper. All right? Things are getting cold. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. 
for they said, he is out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. He thought he is out of his ever-loving mind, and they went to take charge of him. Matthew continues the very same account and writes about it this way. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and sister and brother. Brother, sister, and mother. Do you see there? He is not seeking his family approval. He doesn't care if his family thinks he's crazy. He's not out there trying to convince them that he's not. He is not depending upon them for his self-esteem, for his sense of identity. He is not depending on those people that he has been blessed to be siblings with. He's not doing that. He did not spend his time there. Number two, he did not entrust himself to everyone. He does this in uh, Jerusalem when he's a little bit uh, at the Passover festival. Let me just read it to you. John uh, gives us this account. While Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. He did not need any, uh, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. Now, this is specifically about family, but I want you to recognize that Jesus is discerning, as we can be discerning about who we entrust ourselves to. Who do we give our trust to? Who are we vulnerable with? And is it wise? Do not let the holidays put you in some weird place where you are being overly vulnerable with people who are going to hurt you again and again and again. He knew exactly what was going on with the people in front of him. We obviously don't have the mind of Christ exactly, but we do have a spirit of discernment from the Holy Spirit, and we can trust that. Trust that in yourself. Do not get in a place of making yourself so vulnerable that you come away from the holidays regretting what you've done there. Number three, he did not let the family manipulate his behavior. He didn't let them manipulate his behavior. John 7, we get this account. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judah because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. All right, He's been in his ministry long enough now that there have been death threats, and he knows it, but it is time for the holidays. And so his brothers begin to goad him. And they say, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. I can just hear the sarcasm dripping in this. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Folks, he did not let them manipulate him. He turns around, I didn't print the rest of the scripture there, but he turns around and he says, no, nah, I'm not going right now. I'll go later maybe. I'm not going right. He is not going to do what his brothers are trying to goad him into doing, what they are trying to manipulate him into doing. We do not have to let our families manipulate us and our attendance schedule during the holidays. Some of you have got family pulling you every which way from Sunday, trying to get you to be at a certain place at a certain time. And from an older generation who is feeling that same pressure of wondering when I can get all of my children together, I'm saying don't bow to us. Do not let people manipulate you. 
Do what you know is good for you and your family. Number four, he did not abandon his family. So even while Jesus is not seeking family approval and he doesn't entrust himself to everyone and he doesn't let them manipulate his behavior, he doesn't throw them to the wolves. He actually cares about them. And we see this when he's on the cross and he looks down at Mary and it says in John 19, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, meaning John, and to the, or, to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. This is a woman who at one point in his life, her life, thought he was crazy. Thought he was a loon. Came to take charge of him. He still takes care of her. He arranges for her care even though he's not there. He doesn't put himself under that influence. And, and we have reason to believe that, Jesus, that Mary did believe in him later on, but that he is making sure that she is cared for, right? Now, it's one thing to tell you how I believe God wants us to behave in the holidays with our family. I think there's another thing that we have to add to this is why Jesus was able to do this. How do we get the strength to hold the line with our families during the season. This is why I think Jesus could survive the holidays. Number one, Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew he did not need anybody else to give him a sense of identity. He knew it. And he found this identity out if he didn't know it any other time. He found it out for sure during his baptism. When he is baptized in the water and John the Baptist puts him under, this is what happens. A voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. That is a proud dad moment, right? When Jesus is baptized and God speaks from heaven, what a proud dad moment that is. We had a proud dad moment here a minute ago with the baptism. This is my boy. I am proud of this decision that is being made. I hope you have a proud dad moment in your Christmas season where you come to Jesus and feel his care for you in a way that you know your identity and you hear him say, you are my daughter. You are my son. You can rest in that, and you don't need anybody else's approval because you know your identity. Number two, I think Jesus knew, and he could do this because he knew why he was here. He knew his mission. There is nothing that will make you more confident in this earthly life than knowing what you're here for, knowing what you're created for, knowing the mission God has given you to do. And this is Jesus' mission as he um, relays it to Nicodemus in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When you are so focused in on what God has asked you to do, it will help you navigate every difficult Cousin Eddie moment that's coming your way. Because you know what's important. And you can tolerate so much more because it's not that important. You know what it is that you have been called to do. And then finally, number three, Jesus knew who he was investing in, his disciples. And this is how he called out his disciples at the beginning of his ministry. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. 
These end up being, there's four men listed there, but three of them, Peter, James, and John, become the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. Jesus chose them, he picked them, he invested in them deeply. We don't hear that he was picking any of his brothers or his sister as the people he was investing in deeply. Those were not his inner circle, right? Jesus' spiritual family begins to take the place of support that his personal family could not give him. I'm telling you, find people of faith this Christmas to celebrate with, to lean on during this holiday season, to celebrate Jesus together with them. This is who Jesus spends his holidays with. This is who he spends the Passover with. He didn't waste a lot of time trying to force some sort of weird sibling harmony that wasn't really there because he knew who he was, he knew what he was called to do, and he knew who he was supposed to invest in. I don't know what's facing you this Christmas. I don't know if you're excited about a family gathering coming up or if you're dreading it with every bone of your body. But I'm telling you, we want to pray over you today. That's what these people are up here for. If you're new to the vineyard, this is our prayer team. And, um, and what we're going to do as you come to your feet is as this last song plays, anytime during this song, you can come forward and someone can pray over you. Let's come to our feet. Some of you might be just really needing to reset your expectations. And you know that God is just inviting you to refocus, recalibrate a little bit how you're approaching the season, maybe settle some of the anxiety you have over family members that you know don't get along, somebody you don't get along with, feeling guilt over a strained relationship that you know can't be fixed in three minutes, and just asking for wisdom on how to approach that. Maybe you're dealing with really deep disappointment this year, and you know that you would like prayer as you navigate that. If you would like anyone to pray over you this morning, come forward during this song.